0: So, we're uh, picking up this morning in uh, a short series, the third out of four, uh, where we're uh, exploring um, a right perspective, looking, exploring the the book of Ecclesiastes together. And uh, one of the, part of the message of Ecclesiastes is that he has a fairly bleak view of life under the sun. Uh, The writer's repetitively telling us that everything is futile, and he really does mean everything is futile. The pursuit of pleasure, ambition, work, wealth, politics, power, fame, wisdom, they're all meaningless. Maybe you've been experiencing something of what you feel is life just feels a bit meaningless, a bit pointless, a bit futile, just going through the motions. Uh, Recently, I was trying to uh, get hold of someone for an appointment. And uh, so I just tried ringing. And I must have rung about 15 times. And I was letting the phone, let my mobile ring on speakerphone for probably 10, 15 minutes at a time. And just didn't get a reply. And I was talking to Jonathan, and Jonathan said to me, he said, look, it's clearly, clean. he was having the same issue. He said, best thing you can do, he said, is just turn up at the door and see what happens. So I, I literally, on the way home, I did that, turned up, and uh, I was talking to the person at the counter, and they said, oh, um You'd, you'd like to see someone? Um, well, um, uh, you, uh, we have an appointment system and we release those at eight o'clock in the morning for the next two weeks. So if you ring us tomorrow morning, I'm like, I've been ringing you all day. What chance is there of getting an appointment? And then I left in the end, I just thought, oh, it just felt pointless. I've just felt like I wasted a whole chunk of my time. And that's what Ecclesiastes is talking about, it's talking about where we just feel we're going round in circles. And the, the deep message of Ecclesiastes is that our only hope of making sense in this world and this life is having a right perspective and seeing things as God sees them. And so this morning we're going to look at what it means to honour God when life is tough and things seem pointless. And so we're going to read some verses from the end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 8 to 14, and we're going to read them from the Christian Standard Bible, and they're going to come up behind me on the screen. This is what it says. Absolute futility, says the teacher, everything is futile. Actually, when I was in school, the teacher used to say, it wasn't said everything is futile, it just says, check you're an idiot. <laughs> Everything you do is futile and pointless. Absolute futility, says the teacher, everything is futile. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd. But beyond these, my son, be warned. There is no end to the making of many books, and many much study wearies the body. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Verse 14, it says, for God, and it should say, fear God. And uh, fear God, fear God. And we're going to talk about what it means to fear God, to honor God, to love God, as we uh, unpack uh, this passage together. So last week, we talked about, from uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, about the seasons of life. And we've all been frustrated when life suddenly changes And we're unable to fathom what on earth is God doing. Ecclesiastes points us to Jesus, the only one who can bring fulfillment in the vagaries of life. I remember years ago when uh, I was uh, involved in a church in Hedge End. And the plans were that I was going to uh, take over and lead the team. This was many years ago. And uh, then suddenly, uh, for all sorts of reasons, it disintegrated. It fell apart. All the plans uh, seemed to come to nothing. And it was a totally disorientating season. And what I found out in the midst of that, when everything, all the, uh, all the years seemed to, well, what's, what was this all for? All I could do was to trust God. All I could do was put my trust in Jesus that he would work things out well, that he would bring meaning into what seems incomprehensible at the time. And that's exactly what God did over a period of years. And here we are today. I want to pick up where we left last Sunday. We were looking at Jesus' encounter uh, with two of his disciples on the Emmaus Road from Luke chapter 24. If you weren't here these two disciples have followed Jesus probably for 3 years they have invested everything in being his disciples they're absolutely committed and and unexpectedly they have seen Jesus brutally murdered on a roman cross a few Hours or days before. And they are walking home despondent, back to their home in Emmaus. They're despondent, they're in despair, they can't understand what's going on. Were the last three years pointless and meaningless? Their dreams died with Jesus. And as they're talking to each other about this, and uh, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes and walks alongside them. Along the road, and, and they don't recognize that it's him. And uh, they, uh, he says, What's going on? What's, why are you so down? And they, why are you so downcast? And they say, Don't you know? Don't you know what's happened? And they begin to tell him about what happened to Jesus. And Jesus begins to explain things to them. And it says in Luke 24, 27 that he began to explain the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. All they had, they would have had at the time was the Old Testament scriptures. And so what Jesus was doing was taking, talking them through the Old Testament and was saying, this all points to me and what happened on the cross and my subsequent resurrection. And they still don't get it. Why is he doing that? Because he knows that only he the son of God can meet our deepest need can bring meaning to our meaninglessness and so in the verses that we've just read the writer says about all that says all that's gone before the sayings are given by one shepherd they're like a cattle prod leading us in the right direction. A cattle prod is something you prod the cattle to point them in the right direction towards the fear of God. The phrase one shepherd is used a couple of other times in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel and it's always used in uh, what we would call a messianic context. What that means is it's a scripture that was in the day, it was pointing towards one who was going to come and be the Messiah, the deliverer, the one who was going to set people free. Jesus calls himself in the New Testament the good shepherd. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, he's called that great shepherd of the sheep. And so the words of Jesus carry great weight. They lead us and point us to the God who loves us, the God who sings over us, the God who so loved us he sent his son to die for us, to rescue us from ourselves that we might know that there's a father in heaven who cares for us. Fearing God and keeping his commands. Fearing God, honoring God. Fearing God is like a silver thread that runs through the verses and dark pages of Ecclesiastes. You see, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he hints at the problem. The problem is that God created us perfect, but we have gone our own way. We have turned away from living for him. He says in chapter 7, verse 29, I have discovered, this is what the writer says, I have discovered that God made people upright. But they pursued many schemes. Instead of going God's way, they went their own way. And so God, in his loving kindness, laid a burden on us, the writer says. And that burden is He said he set eternity in our hearts. He's put a God-shaped hole in each, at the heart and soul of each person. A hole that can only be filled by God himself through a relationship with Jesus. He's put that ache in each one of us and he's looking for us to cry out to him. So that he would come through a relationship with Jesus and fill that hole. Ecclesiastes challenges us to honor the God who created us by keeping his commands because one day we're going to have to stand before the God who made the heavens and the earth and have to give an account of how we lived. Fearing God means respecting, honoring, and worshiping the one who made us. And today we're going to look at three ways that Ecclesiastes encourages us to honor God the first thing is this ecclesiastes encourages us to use our wealth well in chapter 5 verses 19 to 20 it says this furthermore everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth he has also allowed him to enjoy them take his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God. For he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. Ecclesiastes says everything that we have, everything that you have comes from God. You may think, well, I don't have much. Well, God has blessed you with so much when you wake up in the morning God is God who gave you breath in your lungs when you look out of the window and you see the beauty of the world around God gave you eyes to see it and the ability to appreciate what you're seeing whatever we have comes from God and whenever God gives us wealth and possessions and enables us to enjoy them it's a gift from him and yet, just a few verses earlier, the writer says, "Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is futile." It's true, isn't it? We always want more. Uh, I, we have these moments sometimes when Annie uh, and I would sit together and we would talk. And she'd say, "What would you do if you had ten thousand pounds?" And I go, "Oh, um, I don't know." Um, I think what she wants me to say is, I'll buy you a dress, or I don't know, like, <laughs> But I, you sort of, you, you just go, oh, well, I could, if I, I could, I, I, I quite like to change my car, I've never had a new car, but I, I like to change my car, it's, it's getting a bit old now. Oh, but I probably, it'd be great, I'd be quite like to go on holiday. I'd be great if we had 12,000 pounds. If it was 12,000 pounds, Have you ever found yourself doing that? However much you think, oh, I could always do with a little bit more. However much we have, Ecclesiastes says, it never brings us peace. Verse 13 of chapter 5, the writer says that hoarding harms us. Hoarding money harms us. In 2015, the Hatton Garden heist. Some of you may, have, may remember it happening. Some of you may have seen the film of it. But basically, uh, people robbers broke into Hatton Garden, which was full of uh, security boxes, where people were storing mainly jewels. And they stole over 200, 000, 200 million pounds. Stolen. The guarantee that the security company had said that these, where you store these security boxes are safe, was meaningless. Many of them were uninsured. Ecclesiastes says that wealth is fleeting. And we definitely can't take it with us when we die. What's the point? Is it all meaningless? No, we need to listen to the one who is greater than Solomon, whose wisdom is greater than Solomon. We need to listen to what Jesus says. Jesus in Matthew. Chapter 6, verses 19 to 21 says this Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? Is your heart on, focused on the one who loves you and gave his son for you? He's given you everything you have? Or are we focused on the deceitfulness of wealth? Jesus warns that wealth is deceitful. It hinders us living fruitful lives for God. Too many people, I see too many people who are ensnared by the love of Money. Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 is a reminder to us just uh, uh, for uh, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to fully trust God. We can't serve both God and money. So what's the answer? Jesus encourages us to use the wealth that God gives us like a sower uses seed, to cast seed out. And the sower doesn't go, oh, I'm going to sow, oh, that's a patch of good ground, I'll put a bit of seed there. The sower scatters liberally, scatters liberally in the hope of a harvest. You see, the sower doesn't use every bit of seed and think, oh, seed! we've got some wheat here. I'm going to, going to make some, I'm going to grind it and I'm going to make some flour and then we're going to make some bread and I'm going to feed my family. The sower uses some of the seed to do that, but some of it he scatters far and wide because he's looking for a harvest for next season so that he's uh, able to feed his family For the coming seasons. And he's looking for more than he's sown. Jesus wants us to use the wealth that he gives us. And he wants us to use it well. That's what it's hinting at in chapter 11. Going to look at this together. This is what Ecclesiastes says in chapter 11 verse 1. Send your bread on the surface of the water. For after many days you may find it. Bread on the water, you throw bread on the water, go soggy, oh i don 't want that back. No, no, that's not what the writer is saying. What the writer is saying, give up what is ours. Throw it away, toss it on the water. It may look useless to you, but at some point there will be a benefit. You don't sow with the, point, the purpose of, uh, of, of getting personal, but somehow paradoxically, what can, there's something that comes back in due course in the right season. God wants us to be people who are like that, who are generous beyond measure. This, listen to what it says in verse 2 of chapter 11. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you don't know where, what disaster may happen on earth. We're to give to those who are in need. One day, we too may need help. So we want to be people who sow generosity. We give to seven. Seven is uh, the perfect number in the Bible. and It reminds us of a God who's perfect, a God who is generous, a God who gives to all. Everything we have, we're told, in James chapter 1, comes from God. So we give generously, but even more we give to seven and to eight. We give more. There's, in the Bible, the Old Testament, there's a, a principle of giving of your first fruits. It's called tithing. You give of the best that you have and you give your first fruits because it's an acknowledgement that God has given you so much and so you give generously. But it's not just tithes and first fruits, it's tithes and offerings, You give to seven, but you give to eight as well. Verse three, it says, if the clouds are full, they will pour out rain on the earth. Then in verse four, one who watches the wind will not sow and the one who looks at the clouds won't reap. The storm clouds of life will inevitably come. And so if we fear rainy days coming, we will never sow and we will never know the blessing of reaping. The encouragement is to sow generously when we can. And the Apostle Paul says that if we sow generously, we will reap generously. Now hear this, just because we sow and we give financially, it doesn't mean that God blesses us the following week with more money. Sowing and reaping is a biblical principle, but it isn't like for like. Sometimes we sow and God just blesses us in all sorts of other ways. And sometimes the blessing is in the life to come. We are storing up for ourselves treasure, Jesus says, in heaven. He means it. Jesus means it. It says, verse 6, In the morning sow your seed and at evening do not let your hand rest. All of us, young and old, have the privilege of sowing out of what God gives us. I uh, remember years ago a story of uh, someone who was living in Jersey, and this person wanted to tithe, um, but their partner uh, wasn't a believer, and so they, they, they wanted to give, and they wanted to give uh, to bless others. And they knew they had to convince their partner to allow them to do it. And so they uh, went to the partner and they said, look, I'd, I'd, I'd like to give, uh, I'd like to give, the church are doing this, I'd like to give some money to it. Um, and the partner's like, why would, I, why would we do that? And they said, well, look, this is what it says uh, in uh, the Bible, and they took them to Malachi chapter 3, uh, verse 10, where it says about, uh, about giving, about uh, uh, bringing tithes into the storehouse, about giving generously. And so they spoke to their partner about it, and their partner said, Well, look, I'll think about it, um, but I'd quite like to buy a boat. And uh, they said, well, will you come and see this boat? They're they're selling a boat. I'd like to take you down uh, to see this boat that I'm thinking about buying. They clearly had lots of money. And uh, they go down to see the boat. And they get down to see the boat. guess what the name of the boat is? Malachi 310. (laughs) God is no man's debtor. God is no man's debtor. God loves it when we're generous. And when we're generous, what 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 do we know about him? He's a generous God to us. He sings over us with love. But if he loves us and he's given us his only son, won't he give us everything that we need for life and godliness? Not everything we want. My experience over all these years is that God is faithful. There are seasons when we've had plenty, and there are seasons when we've had little, but we have learned the secret of being content, because God meets our every need. He's faithful. And so we honor God by being generous with what we have our possessions, our home, our, our, our money, our food. all that we have comes from Him anyway. Hold what we have. we hold it lightly. Because he's given it us to use. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous as he is to us. And I say that, we have a, I said we've got an offering coming up next week. There is no pressure for anybody to give. Nobody is to feel under pressure to give. If you give, I want you to give generously with a glad heart because God's blessed you whatever you give and we trust that God will meet all our needs. I want to encourage you in terms of what you do with your finances. Annie and I have given to the church, we give to our home. This is our home. This is the place we give to. And we've been doing it for years. And every time God blesses us, we we look to think about what can we give? Can we give a little bit more? Why? Is it because we're thinking if we give more, God will give us more? No, no. We are just so grateful. He has looked after us all our days. He looked after us uh, in our early days when we first got married and we had no money. And he's provided for us all the way through. And he'll look after us to the end because he's our father. Use our wealth well. The second thing, quickly, is this. We use our words well. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 2 and 7. Do not be hasty to speak, and don't be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. For many dreams bring futility, so do many words. Therefore, fear God use your words well that honors god i mean sometimes we say things but we don't mean them so sometimes when i say if i say this to annie oh it'll it'll take me too long to explain what that really means is i have absolutely no idea what's going on <laughs> if i say to annie i heard you and I say it just like that, what it means is I have no idea what you just said, and please don't ask me to repeat it back to you. Sometimes what we say and what we mean don't tally up. We're living in days where political promises are regularly forgotten. We're living in days where marriage vows are easily broken. Too often words are meaningless, And many of you here will have been damaged by things that people said and didn't mean. Ecclesiastes' challenge is to be careful what we say. We need to guard our lips when we draw near to God. If we make promises to or before God, we should do our best to keep them. Talking too much is futile. If we fear God and honor him, our words will be few. We'll be so careful about what we say. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 to 37, Jesus says this For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What we say comes from somewhere, comes from what's in our heart. And so if we're saying things that are cruel or unkind, guess what? It's coming from our heart, which is cruel and unkind. A good person brings good things from the storeroom of good and an evil person brings evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment people will have to account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. We're to honor God with our words which are powerful. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul challenges us to to ensure that no unwholesome talk comes out of our mouths. Lying, vulgar language, promises we can't keep, gossip, judgmentalism, all of these dishonor God. If we think we can come on a Sunday morning and worship God and then go home and dissect and pull apart people over Sunday lunch or at work on Monday we are sorely mistaken if we don't keep a tight rein on our tongue then James says our faith is worthless we should be quick to listen but slow to speak out of our mouths should come what is good for building someone up in need so that it gives grace to those who hear when we speak that's how we that should be our filter is what i'm about to say going to build them up encourage them bless them help them walk closer to jesus we're to be those who speak the truth in love encourage one another generously and build one another up in our most holy faith it says in jude in a world where people around us are regularly being let down disappointed and hurt by what others say we are to be different we are to point them to Jesus the one who has the words of eternal life we honour God with our words so let's use our words well the third way we honour God is when we use our time well and we're going to finish with this you know what when my last moments come on this Earth, do you know what? My last words are never are not going to be "I wish I spent more time in the office." <laughs> They're not going to be, "Oh, blow! I forgot to finish that report for the elders. It's really not going to be my last words. As we get closer to the top of the elevator of life and we suddenly realize there's no one else in front of us, our parents are gone and we're we're looking and we're just seeing the, the elevator of life going up and we're coming to the top and we can't see what's beyond it. We intuitively want to make the most of every opportunity, every moment that God gives us. Time flies by. It says in Job that our days are but a shadow. Your days are just a shadow. It only seems like yesterday that I was 17 or 18. It just feels like it was yesterday. It's flown by. Ecclesiastes challenges us in the futility of, seems, the seemingly futility of life to make the mo- most of every moment that God gives us. This is what it says in chapter 2, verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. God wants you to enjoy life. It says in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 9, enjoy the life with the wife you love all the days of your fleeting life. If you're married, enjoy life. Our times are in God's hands. So make the most of the time that he gives you. If you're young, don't waste it. Don't waste your days. Make your time count. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before it's too late. None of us knows when our time will will end. All our days are ordained by Him. And as we get older... Our faculties fail, we're told, Ecclesiastes tells us in chapter 12. Our hearing goes. I've started to notice on my left ear, I'm hearing less clearly and I'm starting to do that a little bit more. So if you see me doing that, there's something in my head. I ought to go and get it checked out, didn't I? As you get older, it says in verse 5, About talks about fear of heights and fear of danger we get more anxious one day our spirits will return to God we're told make the most of the moments that we have in Daniel 5 we read of a Babylonian king called Belshazzar the city is surrounded his enemies surround the city but Babylon is, he feels, he believes it's impregnable And so with his enemies at the gates, they have food that would last years, water supply to last years. So this king foolishly throws a party, a banquet, during which he mocks God. Suddenly, we read a hand appears and writes on the wall, "Meeny, meeny, tekel, a parson. Everybody, is silent the king is shaken with fear no one can interpret what the writing means and eventually someone says there's a, there's a guy called Daniel I, I think he, inter- he interpreted dreams in the past maybe he will answer so they bring Daniel in who's an old man by now and Daniel interprets the writing and the writing says this Behold, you have been found, you've been weighed in the scales, and you have been found wanting. One day we will stand before God. And we don't want to be those who stand before God, have been weighed in the scales, and been found wanting. Jesus says, don't worry about the stuff of life, because it won't add a single hour to our lives. Jesus also tells us a parable reminding us we shouldn't presume on the life that we have. In the story, the parable, he calls a man who just presumes to build more barns because his crops are flourishing. Thinking, I'll build more barns and I'll just grow wealthier and he says he's a fool because that night his very soul will be required of him we need to number our days we mustn't be presumptuous my mum was with my dad in the, the dining room one day it was a Thursday and my dad was just going through he uh, he's going through shares and stocks and all that sort of stuff he had a few and he was saying to my mum he, he said if something happens to me you'll be a really really wealthy woman and she said look, my mum was, uh, was just a lovely godly woman she said, she said I don't, don't I'm not interested in money she said I'll give it all away my dad was like oh, really irritated My dad went out that lunchtime. Coming home, he was killed in a car accident. And my mum gave all his money away. Don't waste your days. If this life is all there is, we'd all agree with Ecclesiastes, everything is futile but the Bible promises this life isn't the end. God promises to make all things new. When we die, we will stand before him and we will enter into his presence forever. We will be with him forever and ever. And however good we think, life on this earth has been it is just a foretaste of the wonder that we will know being with him forever and the life that we will enjoy this life is the warm-up for what's to come and to enter into that all we need to do is to honor him in this life and we do that by putting Jesus first and center in our lives we love him with all our heart soul mind and strength because he came from the Father to give his life for us that we might be reconciled to a Father in heaven. And we can know God intimately through Jesus. And his spirit comes and fills us. The spirit is the guarantee of what's to come. That is the great promise of Scripture. That's the great promise of the Bible. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is wanting us to get, the message he's wanting us to get. He wants us to know the one shepherd who will never leave us, never abandon us, always care for us. God wants us to be those who use our wealth well, use our words well, and use our time well. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Whatever we do, do everything for the glory of God. We're just going to, the band are going to come up. We're going to worship God with a song in a moment. But this is a really good moment just to consecrate our hearts to God again. He is amazing. God genuinely loves you. Did you hear that this morning? Did you hear God loves you? The God of heaven loves you. He sings over you songs of joy, of love. Do you know that if you fall into his grace, his grace is immeasurable? You don't have to do anything to earn his love. How amazing is that? A God that loves you so much that he didn't withhold his only son and sent Jesus to reconcile you to him, to restore you into relationship with him. What an amazing God. This life isn't meaningless. This life has meaning when you know Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can fill that. God-shaped hole in our hearts and fulfill us. Let's stand together and I'm going to lead us in prayer.